Hello and welcome to Abuse Isn't What You Think. I'm your host, Jackie Graybill. This episode features an interview with a special guest who is a co-author in my upcoming book, The Book on Transformation. This book will be releasing in June of 2022, and I can't wait for you to meet Regina. She is a transformational coach, and I hope you enjoy her story. Here's Regina Andler. Regina, oh, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I'm Thank really you. excited to be here. Thank you. So you are a transformational coach. Tell us a little bit about what you do before we get into your incredible story. I'm so excited to hear. I help women basically shift their mindset to be able to create a better life that they design themselves. That's in a nutshell what I do. That is exciting. And I love the authentic place that, that comes from too, because that's what you have done with your own life, which is really exciting. You've gone from a place of trauma to your triumph personally, but you're not stopping there. You're helping other women go through that process as well. Let's go back. Tell us what you have been through. So it's interesting you use that trauma to triumph. The reason why that's interesting to me is because I don't consider it trauma anymore. It's like a completely different life. When I'm working with people, I help them understand that you're the creator of your life and you get to create what's next. There was a time in my life when I didn't realize that and I didn't understand that fully. And this goes back to just way back when I was 15. So it was actually with my first serious boyfriend. I was 15. He was 16 going on 17. That sounds like something out of the Sound of Music uh, musical. <laughs> 16 going on 17. Totally squirreled there for a second. <laughs> Love me some Sound of Music. Love it. <laughs> And so, you know, boy hormones raging and all that kind of stuff. Me not quite figuring out where I am yet. Let's just say I was coerced into having sex for the first time. And it was all because he was pushing, pushing, pushing. And I was like, I'm not really ready for this. And I'm not quite sure that I want to go there yet. I really had nobody to talk to about it. It wasn't something that I felt comfortable bringing up to my mother. My mother and I had a great relationship. It's just it wasn't something I felt comfortable with. And my friends weren't there with any of their relationships yet either. And I kind of felt alone. And so I kept getting this push, 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 push. And I will never, ever forget the very first time I literally cried the entire time. I was just like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And I didn't really realize at the time that it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. After that, I'm just going to say stereotypical boy. It was like, well, you did it once. <laughs> And so even though it was, but I really don't want to. And it was like, oh, come on, you know, and it was just the constant nagging and nagging and nagging. And as far as I was concerned, as a 15-year-old girl, I was head over heels, totally in love. And there was nothing I was not going to do to keep this person in my life. Looking back now, <laughs> you know, those times when you're like, if your 80-year-old self could tell your 15-year-old self, gives them some advice, what would they say? They'd say, you know, it's not worth it. Don't go there. You didn't want to in the first place. I didn't know that at the time. So it kind of just kept snowballing from there. We went out for, <laughs> now, 
here's the thing to note. I did this twice with the same guy. So we ended up breaking up. So it's three years, ended up breaking up. And during those three years, there were many, many times where, oh my gosh. So I'm going to be totally transparent with you here. There was times when he literally brought out porno books and was like, you should do that. And I was, I'm 15, 16, for three years I was with him. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I wasn't brought up that way. And, you know, when I first saw that, I was like, no. He was like, you need to do this. And so it was like, I talked into, because he'd make me feel guilty if I didn't. And literally, I don't know. I, I can't even recall how many times I just cried through everything that was going on. And he didn't seem to care at all. I don't know. Call it the hormones of the young boy. I believe he genuinely loved me at the time. And yet, I don't think he really realized what he was doing either. And so we broke up the first time after <laughs> we got kind of engaged. And we were, oh, geez, I was 18 and he was 19. I had just gotten out of high school and he was out of high school. And, you know, it was like, oh, what's our next step? And that kind of thing. And I don't know, something clicked in me at that point. And I was like, no. It's like, no, I keep doing things that I don't want to do. Why do I keep doing this? And it was kind of like an aha realization moment in my brain. And yet I really didn't understand what it was. I don't know. I was just too young. I wasn't really going there. And so I just kept going, well, we shouldn't be doing this way because this is what I want to do. And yet I keep doing it. And you know how habits are created and limiting beliefs are created and they're created through experiences in your life. I broke up with him. And then the whole experience had created this belief in my head, which was, here's my first boyfriend, my first serious boyfriend that I was first seriously in love with. And that created the belief that, well, I guess this is just the way guys are. This is the way it's supposed to be. I didn't know anything different at the time because I hadn't experienced anything different. And so I ended up going out with another guy and literally had the same experience because that was what I allowed at the time because I didn't know I was actually allowing it. I just was like, I guess this is the way it's supposed to be and this is the way it goes. So I guess we'll just run with it. And left that guy. Had a lot of boyfriends when I was younger. It was the relationship thing. And looking back now, I'll tell you now that that whole piece from that very first three years of experience that literally mentally abused. So never once was I ever really beat on or physically other than the fact that mentally feeling like I had to do this, I guess, you know, then there was the physical actions, right? And so I guess you can call it physical abuse because he just did it anyway. We just did it anyway. And I told myself, I'm young. You hear the stuff about rape and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I consented. I told him it was okay. Thinking back now, it's like, did you really, or did he just make you feel guilty enough and get in your head so that you felt like you had to, or he was going to leave you. And so that was the mindset. If I don't do this, he's going to get mad at me and he's going to leave. It wasn't until years later that I realized that was abuse. And it took me a long, long time. So I go from him to the next guy and I just end up in the same kind of relationship. So that limiting belief, you start getting into patterns. And, you know, this is what I work on now. So I recognize it now. At the time, I didn't recognize it at all. And the next guy, same type of guy, because that's my pattern. That's who I go to. 
I'm a jerk magnet, apparently, and that's what I go to. <laughs> no, you're a jerk magnet. Your picker was just broken. <laughs> that's what I said about yeah. myself. Picker yeah. was just broken. <laughs> yeah. And so I was in this pattern. I went out with this other guy, and then I left him because I'm recognizing that this is not what I want. It was literally, I started getting into this routine. So the first few guys I went out with, it was either two to three years, and they all ended the same way with me leaving them because at some point, I woke up and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I literally just said, no, I'm done. I'm out of here, which was good for me. I didn't realize it was something that had pushed me to that. Never did I ever consider saying, hey, I don't like this. I'm not doing this like this with you or no, no, it wasn't in my vocabulary back then. <laughs> it was the talk me into it. And when I say talk me into it, it was like, oh, come on. Oh, come on, baby. You can do it. Yeah, just once really. It was the loving narcissistic discussions I was just falling into without realizing that was what was happening. So I had no idea at the time that that was what was going on. And it just happened over again. And then a bunch of years later, I got out with a couple other guys, same type of relationships, same ending. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, it's ridiculous. And then me and this first guy, we got back together again and we happened to chat. There was a connection. I don't know. Maybe it was first love connection and puppy love. I don't know. And there was something. And so it was like, all right, we start going out again. At this time, he's now in his mid-20s and he has a girl who's 18 who just had his baby. That he's not with. He's left her. But he has a baby. So for the next couple of years, I played mommy to this baby that he had with this other woman. And at the same time, he's better. Because when I left him the first time, we had a night where, let's just say I had a little bit too much to drink and I let him have it. I told him everything. I said, you did this. You made me feel like this. I will never let you do that again. And I just let go. And so when we got back together again, he was good for a while. And then he started slowly moving back into the way he was because it was apparently the way he was, at least with me. He's happily married now. and Well, happily that you know of. Uh, happily that I know of, yeah. And he just wasn't my person. And I just didn't realize that at the time. One night, the baby was there. And he was like, well, if you're not going to do this, and I'm going to go out. And I just looked at him and I said, go ahead, go out. You might want to find a babysitter because I'm done. And I left and I never went back. And it wasn't until that point when I realized I'm done. I am not letting anybody ever do that to me again. Now, fast forward, start dating another guy. Guess what? I was attracting the same type of guy and he started out really nice. Then he started. Now, I recognized it more for myself and he was almost never really physically abusive, like never hitting or anything like that. He came close a couple of times. He had an anger streak that when he got mad, I backed off. We had an event where we had gone out and we were out with some friends. He literally held me by the throat up against the wall outside of a bar that we were at and was screaming at me. And the whole time, it was like a surreal moment because I was just letting him and I was just looking at him and I was very calm. That was actually irritating him even more. What's the matter with you? Why aren't you upset? Why aren't you crying? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? Somebody came out and they're like, let her go. They called the cops. The cops came. They said, five people in the bar have come out and told me what just happened. Do you want us to arrest them? And I said, no. They're like, well, what do you want? I said, I'm done. I'm leaving. And I left, never talked to him again. I was like, 
no, you will not treat me this way. I will not allow that. It wasn't until that actual physical piece that I actually realized how deep the mental piece was. And then that happened. And all of a sudden it was like, what are you doing? And so for the next few years, it was like, no, we're just swearing off guys for a while until we get ourselves out of this pattern that we're in (laughs) and start attracting something better. It was at that point that I finally realized what was really going on. And I said, you know, I know what I don't want and I know what doesn't work for me. I had never actually stopped to consider, well, what do I actually want? And so I finally started going, well, I don't want that. I do want someone who's loving and caring and respectful and there's no jealousy going on back and forth. They go do their thing. I go do my thing. I have lots of friends who are guys and girls and I wanted somebody who was not going to be crazy jealous. You have a girl that you go out with from work and you want to go out to dinner and stuff like that. Fine, go. I'm going to go out with so-and-so over here because we're friends and we understand that we respect each other. There's no jealousy. We know we love each other. We know our relationship. And I finally realized that was what I wanted. Then I was able to start creating that. It took a long time. And I'll tell you, along this whole journey, I got to the point where I came to the realization. I talked to a lot of the people that I work with about journaling. And I had started journaling right after that second instance with the first guy. And by the way, through this whole period, I was engaged four times. So that's how far we went in the relationships, twice to that same guy (laughs) that I went out with at 15, (laughs) twice to him and then two other guys. And I think one of them was actually, that was what was the tipping point for me. When he actually bought me the ring, he hadn't given it to me yet. So I can't say I was technically engaged. He had the ring. I found the ring and I was like, oh, heck no, we are not doing that. We're not going that far. I'm not marrying that. It's bad enough. I'm going out with it. (laughs) And so I left, which was. Yeah, another story in itself. After that, I had started these journals and all of the journals, when you think about journaling, depending on where you are in your journey, I think about journals today as writing my gratitude journal, writing down all the good stuff and all the stuff that's happening, what's working well and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, these journals were jam packed. I was like writing letters to them you did this to me. You did this to me. I feel like this. I can't believe I allowed you to do this. And that was the journal. The journal was me like just brain dumping all of that onto paper. And so it took me until, oh, we're talking maybe just in the past 10 years. Now I've been doing what I'm doing now and studying what I do now for over 15. It was probably less than 10 years ago. I had these journals and every time I would take them out, I just felt the energy and I'd opened up to a page going, this was the night that you did this. And this was the night that you made me do this. I started reading it and like the energy just crashed. And so after I finally decided it is really time to let this go, I had myself a little party. I had myself a shredding party. I literally sat there with a bottle of wine in front of my shredder and page by page, I ripped out every single page of I think, I don't know, six or eight journals and every single page I ran through page by page through the shredder. It was the most freeing experience I ever had. (laughs) Well, it was a visual representation of what had changed in your life that were no longer that person because you would recognize what was going on and you said, okay, I'm going to change this pattern. Yeah. And that was the whole thing is for the longest time I would make changes, but I wasn't recognizing that you're in a pattern and 
you've got these beliefs and they're not beliefs that I'm actually thinking about. It's just stuff that I'm doing and ways I'm responding and things that are triggering me that I'm just responding in this way. And it wasn't until I finally, you know, caught myself and I was like, how many times are you going to keep doing this? How many times are you going to keep picking guys like this? What are you doing? And it wasn't until I really came to that realization, I was like, just stop. And so I did. And at that time, I still had those journals and they literally were in the drawer next to my bed. Even my husband and I were married. We've been married now for 25 years, 26 this year. When we got married and we built this house here that we moved in in 2000. So the journals came with and they have always sat in my nightstand right next to my bed. And so all I had to do was open up the drawer and I'd look at them. Just seeing the covers of them would affect my energy. And I'd be like, whoa, those are bad, bad energy. <laughs> Make it go away. But they did serve a purpose because they did. Oh, having something while you're in that space to be able to funnel. For me, it was journals and songwriting because I'm a songwriter. And to be able to write those lyrics of what was going on, so helpful, especially when they tell you, oh, you're crazy. That never happened. You can go back and you can say, I wrote this down. See, probably not a good idea to show them, but at least for yourself, you know, you're not crazy. Yeah. And you said songwriter. I used to write poems. And then I went back and I read the poems and let's just say they were pretty dark. And I go back because those I still have actually. And so every now and then I'll look at that. I'll be like, yep. Now when I look at those, I'm able to look at them with a different set of eyes, a different awareness. It doesn't affect me anymore. The journals, I guess I was trying to get myself to that spot. I was working on it was like a challenge, like a self-challenge of I should be able to pick up one of these journals and not freak out with my energy and start getting upset. I'd pick one of them up and start crying because I knew what was in it. And then I'd open a page and I was like, that's it. I'd be like a depression for the next two days because now that's all that's in my head because that's what I just put there. I was like, you should be able to read this stuff and be outside of what's going on because it's not happening anymore and you're not in that space anymore. And yet every single time I picked them up, I could not get past it. And so that was why I finally decided, you know what? You just need to make them go away in an elaborate way. Now, I thought about having a bonfire. I was going to do it as a bonfire. I wasn't able to do the bonfire part of it. I was looking forward to burning each of them. (laughs) Ended up me sitting on the floor in the room with my glass of wine, shredding them page by page by page by page at a little shred party. It felt so good when they were done. I literally was crying as I was putting some of them through the shredder because I was still feeling it was like letting go. It was like letting go of my youth because that was my teenage years, my 20s. There was a whole lifetime in those pages that were formative growing up years. There was a lot of thought at the time of, I just wasted all of those years. Why did I do this? And then I realized... I'm not the only person who goes through this stuff. And so many of us are just like me that you just don't see it when it's going on. You just feel like you're doing because that's the way it is. My parents were loving parents. My parents didn't have any issues. I was brought up that parents love each other. I grew up with a set of parents who had a very healthy, loving relationship. And so that's how I thought a relationship should be. And then I started getting into these relationships. And the funny thing was, the one that started this whole thing, 
My mom loved him to death. He was the best thing since sliced bread. My parents as well. They're so good in the beginning at that love bombing and making you feel so special and like, oh, I'm in love. This is incredible. Like, how could there be such an amazing person for me? And you stack that on top of the fact that you were 15. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was 32 when I met my ex-husband, so I can't even imagine. Yeah. When you're 15, girl, boy, whatever, they talk about guys maturing. <laughs> it takes women longer to mature than women. But even girls, you're 15. You haven't experienced everything there is to experience yet. And then this is your first experience. For me, that was my first experience with any kind of relationship and especially an intimate relationship. It came from that. For the longest time, I just thought, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. And yet, I knew from my parents, I was like, I guess that's the way it is for me. And that's the way it's going to be for me. Jeez, mom and dad don't do this. At the time, you're 15. You don't put the connection together. 15, 16, 17. Now you're growing up and you're starting to do other things. I graduated high school at 17 just because where my birthday lies. I'm a November girl. <laughs> and so I was 17 when I graduated that year and you know, turned 18 that November. And then it wasn't until I started going out to college. I just went to a local college at night school and started working. And all of a sudden, instead of just being with school people and that kind of thing in high school, now I'm with all these other people and watching what's going on. And I'm like, something's not right here. I wasn't mature enough in my mind at the time. I wasn't aware enough at the time to understand what wasn't quite right yet. I just knew something was wrong. And I think there's an extra piece too of what society says abuse is, right? Because when I would think of abuse before I got into my abusive marriage, I would think physical abuse, a man beating up a woman or strangling her. That's what I thought of as abuse. So of course, I'm not going to see myself in that relationship as in an abusive relationship because I had no idea about the cycle of abuse that happens and the fact that it is all about control. It's all about coercive control for them. He was pushing your boundaries as a 15-year-old. They hate boundaries. People who are abusive, they hate boundaries. And so he was pushing your boundaries. He was like, how far can I get? How much can I control? I'm sure that was the case with the other people that you went out with. Control is the biggest piece. And I had no idea. I didn't know that. I didn't know about the course of control thing until I started my master's in understanding domestic and sexual violence. And then I can start to look back and see the areas of control. And you're like, what in the world? Yeah. I was a puppet on a string. Whatever they said to do, I did. It was because they had that control. So that was the control that they had over me. I had one that was in between those guys. I had acquired, especially from the first one, every now and then, it's one to make up, I'll give you a piece of jewelry. I had bracelets, a couple rings. And one of the other guys that I'd gone out with came over one night and he saw some of this jewelry. He goes, who gave you that? And I said, so-and-so gave it to me. He's like, throw it out. I literally threw out jewelry into the dump, into the trash, like diamonds and emeralds because I was told to get rid of it. One of them was an engagement ring from somebody else. <laughs> and I refused to give her that one. So I gave it away to my niece. I was like, here, take this. I was like, I'm not throwing this one out. And to that point and, and to that coercive control that you're talking about, the second time 
that I got engaged to that first one. Interesting story. You think about getting engaged, right? Somebody's going to ask you to marry them. And it's a happy occasion. Life is good. I was out with my girlfriend and we were out having a good time. I came home. It was maybe 1 a.m. in the morning. He comes out of the bushes, drunk. He's all upset because I've gone out with my girlfriend. He had no control over me. I was at that starting to walk away and he knew it because of the first time. Literally, he came in. He goes, but I have this ring for you. We're going to get married. And I'm like, you're drunk, go home. I was at the point with him where at least I'd start pushing back. And then to what you're saying, that was his reaction to him losing control. He was starting to lose control and was like desperate measures. So he had gone out and was drinking and he literally came out of the bushes. I get out of my car and all of a sudden he comes out from the bushes and he's like, where have you been? I've been out with my friend. He's like, it's really late. He starts there and then he caught himself. And I said, what are you doing here? He goes, I have a ring for you. And I'm like, why? Yeah, I'm like, it's one o'clock in the morning. You're drunk. Go home. I'm going to bed. I don't even want to talk to you right now. I just had a good night out with my girlfriend. And I don't even want to talk to you right now. That was his reaction to him losing control. He was like grabbing at anything he could just to hold on because he knew the signs for me at that point that it's like, oh, she's leaving. I've never really used that term, coercive of control, but that's it. That's exactly what it was. Doesn't it fit? I feel like it fits every little piece when you examine it and you look. And even, like you said, it was another one that had a temper. They would get angry. And I find that interesting, too, because I had an ex-fiance as well <laughs> before I ended up getting married. And I can look back and I can say that he was abusive, but I didn't know it at the time. I just thought, oh, he has an anger issue. And he would get so angry at all these little things. I'd be like, what in the world is going on? Similar engagement story. I mean, not with the drunk part, but it was like he didn't ask me. And I actually never got a ring from him. We ended up breaking up before I actually got the ring. <laughs> but it was interesting. Most of our relationship, I was studying in Italy for a semester. So he was trying all these things to just pull my attention back. And I remember one time he texted me while I was in Italy and he said, I'm so mad with the way your parents are treating me that I almost flushed your ring down the toilet. All this stuff broke up with me over text while I'm in another country. I'm like, why? It's just that control. And he ended up breaking up with me in this really crazy, dramatic way that you're left looking around saying, what just happened? I feel lucky that it happened that way. But with him... I thought, okay, he just gets out of control when he's angry. So the next person, I need to make sure I'm with somebody who doesn't have an anger problem, not realizing that there are so many different ways and shapes and forms that abusive people come in. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be in an abusive relationship if I'm with somebody who doesn't have an anger problem. <laughs> and realizing now that it's not them being out of control when they're angry, it's just their explosion phase and their cycle of abuse. I'm not sure if you've heard the cycle of abuse. It starts with the love bombing, so they make you feel amazing. And then they have the tension building phase where you're walking on eggshells, you're trying to do everything to make them happy, but they're just these little things you're not sure when they're going to get gripey with you or verbally abusive. And you're like, what is going on? And then the explosion phase that happens. So those outbursts 
with my ex-fiance would be his explosion face. And then, of course, they go back, like with you and the jewelry, they would go back to the love bombing face. Oh, it's okay. I'll never do that again. Whatever. And then you go around and around that cycle. And the explosion gets bigger over time. Yeah, I, I agree. And that, without knowing it at the time, is exactly what was going on. And with that first one, he didn't really have so much as an explosion. It was one of the other guys who did that. He was, I don't know how to term it. He was a quiet anger. He was covert. Yes. And so it would be the, he's not going to talk to me. And of course, I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? What's wrong? What's wrong? And he would force me back in. Without realizing at the time, now that I know what a narcissist is, <laughs> I'm like, this is such a narcissistic relationship. <laughs> it was an experience, though. The thing that happened to me because of it all was, yes, I dealt with it. And like you said, it was my definition of what is abuse. I was like, well, he's not beating me. He's not doing any of that. So I didn't really understand that. No, that's mental abuse. I didn't understand that at the time. And I'm like, he's not beating me or anything. So I'm not being abused. It's just the way it is. Once I started catching on and I started responding back, you know, it's like, I'm down here. I'm down at the bottom, just being that puppet that's being controlled. And now all of a sudden I literally cut the strings and I am really hyper sensitive on the other side. So now I'm being a major B. To. <laughs> to anybody who even exhibits a tiny bit of that. So I meet somebody new and at the tiniest bit, I'm like, you're out of here. I'm done. They're like, what did I do? I was like, I just met her. Something would trigger me. I was like, I'm not doing that again. I got to the point where I was so hyper on the reverse that I couldn't get into a healthy relationship at all because now I'm the one who's, I'm not abusing. I'm just pushing back. It was huge brick wall up with the, no, nobody's ever doing this anymore. And as soon as a tiny bit of a trigger, they did anything, instantly I shut down. My girlfriend, she realizes this in me and, and she's known me since I was seven. And so we grew up together. We went out one night and this was at the end of the second round with that first guy. And she knew it was at the end. We're out and we were literally at a club. This is back in the days when we went to clubs. And so we're sitting there and the movie Dirty Dancing had just come out. I'll never forget it. And the reason I'll never forget it is because that song, Time of My Life, came on. And she and I had gone out by ourselves, me and her. Guess who shows up? Because he knew where we were going. So he shows up. Now he comes in and literally we're in this booth and she's sitting here. I'm sitting here. He's sitting here. And he's like, what are you doing? Come home with me. And I'm like, leave me alone. And I'm just like ignoring him. I'm that complete opposite, ignoring him, go away. And, and so he's like, oh, come on. And that song comes on. He goes, come on. He goes, just dance with me. Just dance with me for the song. I literally said to him, my feet hurt. I don't feel like dancing. Leave me alone. This is so serendipitous. It couldn't have happened any better. Two seconds later, a guy, some stranger guy walks up to me, looks at me, goes, you want to dance? I was like, oh yeah, sure. And I literally pushed him out so that I could get out and dance the song with this stranger guy. And my girlfriend was like, I can't believe you just did that. I said, no, I'm done. I'm done with him. Make him go away. And she's like, you left. And he just sat here and went, how do I get her back? How do I get her back? What do I do? And she said, I think she's done with you. <laughs> I was not going to deal with that abuse anymore. And I had 
gone so far hyper on the other end. That was the kind of reaction that I was now giving. And it was good because it got me out. I needed something to interrupt the whole pattern. And that was me maybe a little bit too far sometimes on the other side. That was my interrupt to get me out of that pattern. And then once I got out of that, then I was able to get myself into a pattern for what I wanted more out of a relationship and what I knew I was no longer going to tolerate. There was a period of time where there was a few relationships after that prior to meeting my husband where I might have been the control freak. And it was because you're not going to do this to me. And so I'm running the show. If I say I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do this. It wasn't control freak as in I want this from you or anything like that. It was like, I'm in control of my life. You are not going to tell me what I can and can't do. You're not going to make me feel guilty for not doing something or doing something. I was done. I'm not going there. And so it took me a long time. Yeah, you were healing and you were taking back your agency, which is the thing that is taken from us when we're in a coercively controlling relationship. Evan Stark is a professor. He wrote a book on coercive control and he calls it a liberty crime because it is taking away your agency, your ability to make decisions for yourself on whatever it is, your ability to live the kind of life and make the decisions that you want to make. It is your freedom that is literally taken away. So it absolutely makes sense to me that in reaction to that, as you were healing, you would be staking your claim to your agency. You'd be saying, okay, I'm taking my agency back. I've got mad boundaries. If you cross those, sorry for you. (laughs) You You are so spot on 100% right. (laughs) And no, I never thought of it that way before, but that was exactly what I was doing. And I just reached this, it's like you said, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, there'd just be that event. Something would happen, something would be said, something. And it was just like, that's it. My girlfriend started with me in relationships. Cause like I said, I had a couple before I finally got to where it was good, where she'd recognize in me and she's like, oh yeah, you're cutting that one, huh? And I was like, oh yeah, we're done. <laughs> and she's like, oh yeah, I saw it coming. She's like, you have this pattern that you start getting a little bit more tense, stop responding. She goes, you want to go out more with me? Friends since we were seven. So she was like, when you're in a relationship and then you don't see your girlfriend so much because you're with the guy or whatever. She actually did the same thing for a while with her guys. So it'd be like, okay, I'm not seeing her for a while because she's with so-and-so. And then she'd leave them. She was like, what do you want to do? You want to go out? You know, so you want to get together? Where are we going? And so we always, you know, Growing up, we went back and forth with each other with all of our relationships. And so she always knew she saw the signs of me before I actually saw them. And so she would call me on it and she'd be like, so what's going on? I was like, "Hmm, nothing. She's like, you're getting ready to leave, aren't you? And I'd be like, let's just say I'm not happy. You're starting to listen to your intuition, which is the thing that in your formative years, you really weren't given the opportunity to listen to your intuition because that was taken from you just with that first sexual experience. So it was almost like you had to learn all over again, what is my intuition? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? And this is this huge healing process and really rediscovering yourself and what you want post-abusive relationships. Yeah, and I tell people all the time that it's not just when somebody dies that you're going through the stages of grief. 
that's what it was kind of like. So it was the stages of grief because then I got angry at myself. Why did I allow this to happen to me? Why did I keep letting them do this? It took me the longest time because I'm long past that now. It's the, whatever you do, your response, you created it, you allowed it. They didn't do anything to me. I allowed it to happen. It took me a long time to get to the point where I came to a completely new level of awareness where it was, it's just part of who I am because you can't change your past. It is what it is. And you're the creator of your story and everything that's happened to you in the past, you created that. It wasn't somebody did this to you. It wasn't this happened here. It was you allowed it to happen by the choices that you made, by the decisions that you made. Now, we make all of our decisions and choices based on past knowledge or what happens. And that's how we end up in patterns. It took me a long time to realize that what I was doing was just reliving the pattern over and over again. And you really can't change a pattern unless you interrupt the pattern somehow. And so for me, that was me going way far on the other end, interrupt it, and then came back down from there and, and came to a point where it was like, okay, what do you really want? Who do you want to meet? What kind of relationship do you want to have? And that's finally brought me to my husband now. So it was a long time coming though. It was an experience and those stages of grief, I went through them all. The general depression and then disbelief. Why is this happening? I can't believe this is happening. Why is this happening? All that stuff. And then you get to the anger point and I was like, oh, you're so mad about it. And you finally get past the anger. And it's once you get past the anger and you allow yourself to get past that anger that now you go, okay, now I've learned from those choices and responses that I made. What happened back then was nothing but my life experience school. So it's my learning experience for where I've come. So then the question was, what have you learned? What did you learn from all that? I learned that I don't want that kind of relationship. <laughs> and I learned I'm not doing it again. <laughs> and so then it's a, what do you want to do now? If you can create whatever you want, what do you want to create? And then I had to stop and think, you know what? I don't know. When I first started the whole journey there, I had no clue because all I knew was that. And so when I stopped and went, I don't know, the first thing was, I don't know, am I allowed to decide for myself what I want? Can I? Is that okay? And then once I really got into the, it's your life. Yeah, what do you want? I literally had my mirror exercise where I sat in front of the mirror and for the longest time I couldn't do it. I couldn't look myself in the eyes. I finally got myself looking at myself in the eyes saying, what do you want? First few times I did that, I'm literally looking back at myself in the mirror going, I don't know. And then it was like, okay, well, let's just see what comes next. And I started allowing things to just unfold and see where they went. And then anytime anything came in that was like, no, don't want that. Nope, just met this guy. Nope, don't want that. I know I'm recognizing it now before anything even starts. No, I don't want that. My girlfriend, she laughed at me. We'd be at a bar because you know, we used to go dancing. It was back in the 80s when we used to go out dancing all the time. And we'd go out and she gets so mad at me because she wants to meet a guy. So we'd both be out and she's like wanting to meet somebody. We were younger. <laughs> we're older now and, you know, went out in our cutest outfits and all done up. It would be so funny because you know, we'd be out and the guys are out of the clubs for the same reason. So they're just looking to hook up and she gets so mad at me. Somebody would start walking over and I'd go, <laughs> I was like, radar's up, radar's up. He's scoping you out. 
you better watch out. Here he comes. And she's be like, will you shut up? He's not going to come over to the table. I was like, I'm looking at the guy going, do you really want him to come over to the table? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you're scaring him away. <laughs> she, she gets so mad at me because that was how I felt. I was at that point where we go out to a club. I'm like, I'll dance. Don't even think about coming over to the table and trying to hook up with me. Not happen. I am not hooking up with a guy from the club, period. I'm out here to listen to music, dance, have some fun with my girlfriend. That is it. I'd literally be scaring the guys when she'd get so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm figuring out what I want right now and you are not it. <laughs> I realized that what I wanted, I wasn't finding at a club. So the whole purpose of the club now was to go out and have a good time, dancing and having fun. It was more for a fun thing, not a, hey, we're going clubbing to see who we can hook up with. When, when we were in our early 20s, you went out clubbing to see who you could hook up with. And that was the way it was back in my day. Anyway, that was what we did. And I got to that realization that I was like, yeah, there's nobody at a club that I ever want to hook up with because you know what? All of them are out there doing the same way. And this was definitely a belief created through this whole experience. The belief was that guys who go to clubs are all jerks. There might've been a really nice guy at the club. I don't know. <laughs> I never let them get close enough to find out. <laughs> well, it was protecting yourself too. Yeah. And like I said, I put a huge wall up and it took me a long time to start taking that wall down and saying, you know what? It's okay. Cause you're in control now. You know what you want. You are good with you. A lot of it was self-love. There was the, I didn't know it wasn't a love myself first. It was, I'm supposed to love them first and then everything that they want. And then if there's some time left for me, I can throw some self-love at me, but right now, nope, it's all about them. And I slowly regain control, the confidence and the idea of what I did want. And so then it's classic law of attraction. You know, energy attracts like energy in that pattern. So that's what I keep attracting. I keep attracting the same person until I kind of interrupt it. I did it interrupt in a big way with all that, a lot of lashback from me with the Anytime anything started, it was like, nope, we're not going there. And I'm not allowing you to make me feel that way. So just go away before it even gets started. That was a huge interrupt. And then it was like, okay, now what? And it was like you said, at 15, I literally had to recreate and figure out, I don't know, who am I and who do I want to be? And based on who I am and who I want to be, who do I want with me? Maybe I don't want anybody with me. I don't know. Maybe I haven't figured out what I want to do yet. And that's okay. And I allowed myself to say, no, you're worthy of a healthy, caring, loving relationship, whatever that looks like to me. And it took me a long time to get to that point where I said I was worthy of that. The self-care piece is so huge. I think it's so interesting. Your pattern interrupt with that came all this awareness. Maybe you didn't necessarily understand all of the abuse that you'd gone through, but you were like, hey. I don't want this anymore. And with that came the responsibility because you realized you could change it. And that's powerful. That's a really powerful piece. During that time, you had your self-care wall up so you could heal <laughs> before you got back out there. But I think that healing moment after that pattern interrupt is really vital in your story and in my story and, and so many people who have been in that type of cycle 
I can look back and say I had my abusive ex-fiance and then I was like, okay, I don't want to be with somebody who has an anger issue. So then I was with, now I can look back and say an abusive boyfriend for nine months, but he was covert. He was really passive aggressive and he wouldn't talk to you for a while and all of that. And then that ended. And then years later, I ended up with my abusive ex-husband. So when I was working with a therapist, I had to look at it and say, it wasn't like, hey, universe, I would love an abusive partner. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, okay, who's the common denominator in all of these relationships? Okay, that's me. It's not my fault. But at the same time, what is it that I'm believing about myself that is allowing me to attract these type of people? And then just being so caring with myself in that self-care and that healing to realize, like you did, okay, what do I want and how going forward do I listen to my intuition so I don't get in the same type of relationship in the future? Yeah. And that's what it was. I started learning about that kind of stuff. I started doing self-development programs, Jack Canfield Success Principles Certified. That was my first certification. I started that by looking at some of his stuff, all of his success principles. And I was like, oh, so there's more and it really is all about me. And yep, I need to take 100% responsibility. And yeah, my responses do matter. I'm looking at events that happen. So one of the things that we teach, it's called E plus R equals O. It's the event plus your response equals the outcome. And so I started looking at that and then looking back going, yeah, the event was this. My response to it was this. The outcome was something I really didn't like. It was when I really realized that my response is the one thing in that whole equation that I have 100% total control over. Once I really embodied that and brought it in, I was like, okay, so I was responsible for all of this. I talked to other people about it and they're like, you weren't responsible for him doing what he did to you. I said, yeah, I was actually. I will hold that and take that as responsibility. And they're like, how can you be responsible? And I said, because I allowed it to happen. They're like, you didn't know any better. I said, you're right. I didn't know any better. What I did know, and I felt it then, like you said, that intuition, I knew that there was something wrong. I chose to keep doing it. Even though I knew that something wasn't right, I chose to stay there for whatever reasons. Part of those reasons were the mental control, the, oh, but baby, I love you, and all the stuff that goes along with that. It was like sucking you right back into it again. And then you'd be like, oh, all right, I'll give him another chance. I like to think of it in the metaphor of a strategy board game. Like the relationship is set up like a board game with rules that only they know. And they're meant to keep you from leaving. <laughs> Which is so interesting that you went back to him after that happened. And I don't know if you know the statistic, but the average is seven times that we try to leave before the final time that we leave. Seven times. They're so sticky. It's so easy to get pulled back. So those pattern interrupts are so huge. But like you said, I think there's just huge freedom in taking responsibility and saying, okay, this happened, but what do I want going forward? Yeah. And that was the whole thing. It was like I had never, prior to really becoming more aware for myself, I had never thought that it was okay to think about what I wanted first because that wasn't something that I did. It was, what do they want? Anytime we did anything, when I was going out with all of those guys and my girlfriend since seven years old, we're still best friends. She will attest to this. 
all my friends went away. So it was all their friends. I have my core friends that we knew since we were young. We always come back into each other's lives. I went in and out of a lot of other friendships because I was like, okay, I've got this friend. Okay, now I'm going out with this guy. And I was the bad girlfriend to my friend because she's like, well, where are you? When are we going out? What are we doing? You don't even call me anymore. And we don't even go out and have any fun or do anything. It was like, oh, I got to do this with him. And they'd be like, fine, then we're going someplace else. Because as you people come in and out of your life, my girlfriend, since I was seven, she would always stick with me. It would literally be like, we call each other up in between relationships. And she's like, oh, you broke up with them, huh? Okay, good. Where are we going out? (laughs) Okay, we're back. We're back on. Okay, (laughs) what are we doing? Now my relationship is such that I see my friends all the time. And I see my husband, I see my friends. There's a healthy balance of it all, where before it was just all about them. And I never thought that it could be about that. I thought, I can't go out with my girlfriend because I'm supposed to be with him, doing something with him. Well, that's a classic tactic that they use too, which is to isolate you because they want to be the be-all, end-all for you, which also makes it hard for you to leave. If you don't have many friends or you're not talking to your family because you've been so isolated, it's another one of those sneaky rules that they set up, which makes it tricky. One of the things that I think of often now is where do they learn this? Because not all guys are like, (laughs) did their parents just not have a good relationship? And that was the way they were brought up. With what I do now, I do mindset transformation consulting. This is what I help people do is transform their minds. So now I go back and I look at it and go, what are they thinking? What are they believing? What limiting beliefs do they have that they think that's right? It makes me wonder. Not that they're going to do anything about it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Very small percentage that they ever change. If you want a book that has really good perspective for what they're thinking and what goes on in their minds, The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans is excellent for that. And also, why does he do that? Behind the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men by Lundy Bancroft. Excellent resources. And there's also one by Dr. Christian Northrup. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. She's a woman's doctor. She wrote a book, An Empath's Guide to Surviving Energy Vampires. Mm. And it's interesting because she really places the fact that the people that they target, they meaning abusive people, are people who are empathetic. They're people who are willing to put them first, to be forgiving, loving, which are amazing characteristics. But if we don't have boundaries... And I didn't have great boundaries. I didn't really understand boundaries. If we don't have those, then of course they're going to come in and take advantage because they're like, yeah, easy pickings. Okay. (laughs) And that's 100% true. I teach people that now too. I never realized I removed all the toxic people from my life. People don't realize that there's toxic people in their life. There are those energy vampires. Everything is energy. We are brought up to ignore some of what we feel. Because that's the way it's supposed to be, because we're brought up with certain beliefs as such that us as individuals, we don't stop to think, well, maybe that's not true for me and who I am. So we just do it anyways, even though we get that gut feeling that's going, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. We just ignore it. And when you actually start paying attention to the energy, I pay attention to all of my energy now. And when I feel something is really not right, Even if I don't know why I'm getting that feeling, I will stop and pause and basically acknowledge what is going on. Why does this feel so messed up? Everything seems like it's good. Why is this feeling so messed up? And every single time I've ever done that, there's always been something that I just hadn't seen yet 
that was going on in the background. And because I stopped myself, I didn't keep going forward. That's my own version of my own internal interrupt with the energy because I felt it. And I gave myself that moment every single time. It's been like, oh, that's why. Yeah, we're not going there. It's huge when you start tapping into that. It's almost like a second brain. (laughs) I think I've heard it called that. Your gut is like your second brain because it just picks up all the things that logically we aren't connecting. And that's something that, because I'm single, I have started doing as I've, you know, been getting back into the dating world is really trying to, while I'm with the person, check in with my gut. How am I feeling when I'm with this person? And then after the date, really checking in and saying, okay, how do I feel after being Mm -hmm. with this person? And there have been some times where I just have been like, I don't really but why? There was no red flags. There was no, you know, but it came out later or it's something I realized later that happened. And then I was able to say, oh, that's why. But developing that instant trust in your gut is so counterintuitive. Yeah. I talk to my clients about their inner GPS. So I call it the inner GPS. I love that. Your inner GPS is guiding you at all times. Whether or not you choose to pay attention to it is another story. And that's why I said, when I feel something going on now, I check in with my inner GPS and go, not just what is going on. And I don't immediately stop because if everything looks like it's going good, I'm getting that little, it's kind of like driving, you know, you have the green light, the yellow light, the red light. So if my inner GPS is saying something's not quite right here, I won't stop. The yellow light's coming on though. The yellow light's going, okay, proceed with caution and let's just With that knowledge, let's see where we go. And then if anything starts heading to the red, it's okay, nope, we're out here. Now, sometimes it'll go from yellow back to green because everybody's individual. Everybody has all their own stuff going on all the time. And that all expresses out of you as energy. So even if you're on a date with somebody, you don't know what their past is and what's going on with them or how they've experience their relationships up until that point. And so they might have their guard up and them having their guard up is what's giving you the red flag, giving you the woo-woo feeling going, something's not quite right. And it's not that there's something bad. It's just that their guard is up. So they aren't being 100% authentic with you because they're on the same thing. If you have your guard up and they have their guard up until you guys let your guards down and find out, I don't know, do I really resonate with you? You're not allowing yourself to resonate with them. So I always put the yellow light on and go, okay, there's something up, proceed with caution, and let's see where it goes. There's other times where it goes from green to red immediately, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going there. (laughs) (laughs) We're done. I am definitely not doing that. (laughs) No questions asked. I'm not even going to find out what's going on in the background. I don't want to know. But most of the time, I would say that it's the proceed with caution and let that inner GPS guide at this point so that it tells me your inner GPS, those feelings and everything else, we all have them and we all have always had them. It's not until you actually are consciously aware of the fact that you have them, that you start paying attention to them. Once you start really thinking about it and you go, oh, okay, so I have an inner GPS. I don't know. What's this feeling? Now you're paying attention to it consciously And that's what helps you create those interrupts in the pattern so that you can get out of something that's not quite right. 
know, there's nothing wrong with having a relationship where the two of you break up because we're on different paths now. And when people are on different paths, energy over here, energy over here, we're in two different places, that's okay. Then there's the destructive energy from an abusive relationship. And what I've learned now looking back is had I been aware of that, there's no way I would have gone out with them twice. <laughs> and there's no way I would have repeated the first relationship. I didn't know that then though. I wasn't aware enough about it to even think twice. Stuff happens until you stop and catch it. I love the fact that you've got this podcast out here because anybody who listens to it, that's now going, ah, oh, that's me. Okay, good. Now be more aware. It's okay. Stuff is going to happen. You just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know to say no. I didn't know that it was something wrong. To me, it was the way it was. And that was the belief. And you know what? It wasn't working for me. I knew it wasn't working for me. If I actually really checked in in my gut, it wasn't working for me. I chose to ignore that. The red flags, red signals, you know, stop, 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 stop. They were everywhere. They were all around me. And I was totally ignoring them. Or you had your rose-colored glasses on, yeah. so they didn't look red. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but I'm in love, and he loves me, and it's all good, and I'll make it better. I know I can make this relationship work. At some point, you have to, I won't say cut your losses, but at some point, you have to take care of yourself and say, it's time to leave. Yeah. My therapist said, Jackie, you could keep trying things until you're 90 years old to make <laughs> the relationship better and to see if he will change, but... You have to try just enough things so you're certain that he's not going to change and that this relationship is not sustainable. And that's what I came to realize. This is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for me emotionally and physically and all of it. So with that knowledge, then what do I do? Yeah, because that's when you all of a sudden stop. And you're like, what do I want? This didn't work. So you had your caution flag up. Your caution flag was flying there going, okay, we're getting all these red lights all over the place. There's something not quite right. Caution up. And you allowed it to, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to try this. At some point, it's a, I've tried a variety of things and none of them are making any difference. And I'm a firm believer now that not only does everything happen for a reason, everybody is connected to each other for a reason. And that connection isn't necessarily meant to be a permanent connection. So it was there for whatever life lesson it was to learn, what you choose to do with that knowledge that you took away from it and what you learned from it is entirely up to you. Again, choices, responses. You chose to help share so that other women could get through the process faster. Because really, honestly, if you're not paying attention, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You went through it. I went through it. Tons of other women are going through it. It's not until they hear something and they go, ah, that's me. She just described me in my relationship. And look, she got through it and she got through it. Huh, what can I do? Now you're aware. So it helps so much with just that awareness for people that you're doing helping through here. Thank you. I really hope it does help. And you are just so inspirational to me. You started with all these relationships when you were 15 and the fact that you were able to have that pattern interrupt and totally transform your life, that is so inspirational. I know that will give hope to so many people who are in those cycles right now. And I just really appreciate 
your authenticity and your transparency to share your amazing journey. Oh, you're such an incredible coach. I feel really honored to have just been in your presence and heard your story. This is amazing. Thank you. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast where I told all of those stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's part of me though. And it is something that can help. I tell people everything in life is all about the interrupt. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the interrupt. If something's going on that you don't like or something you're not sure of, there needs to be an interrupt, whatever that interrupt is. Whether it's you going, I'm done. It's an event that happens. You know, an event can happen and cause an interrupt. There's all kinds of ways you can get an interrupt. And then it's just interrupting the pattern because you don't know what you don't know. And the only way you're going to know it is if you try something different. And from what you know to trying something different, you can't get from here to there unless you stop at least for a second and have an interrupt in between and say, okay, you know what? I'm going from here. Okay. And I'm going to go over here. You you can't do that without the interrupt. I personally believe that that's why some people stay in abusive relationships. They've got that control. They're allowing that person to continue to control them. And it's because they really don't know and they haven't quite accepted yet that there is another choice. Yeah. And they never will until they get an interrupt that says, this doesn't have to be this way. Let me stop for a second and see if there's another way to do this. And that changes your response. And maybe the response is, hey, I'm going to say something. We're going to try to make this relationship work. And it starts there. Or it could be a, no, I need to get out of this relationship. It depends on the relationship. I think that idea of a pattern interrupt is so, so huge. One of mine was, my first one was reading that book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship, my therapist recommended. And I started seeing myself and what I was going through played out in the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is me, oh my gosh. So that was the first pattern interrupt. Then I started just praying and putting on the universe for breadcrumbs of which way should I go? Should I stay or should I go? Then in Patricia Evans' second book, The Verbally Abusive Man, Can He Change? Should I stay or should I go? aptly named, (laughs) she puts forward this agreement that you present them with, just like all the abusive things that have been said or done and just presenting them with this and say, hey, can we sign this so we won't do this to each other? And based on their reaction to that, then you have an idea whether to stay or go. So that's a pattern interrupt. So from that pattern interrupt in his response, I ended up moving out. And then the last pattern interrupt for me was when he showed up at a restaurant where I was having dinner with a friend. I was laughing when you were sharing your story. I'm like, oh, it's insane, pattern interrupt. We made this huge, big scene. He didn't know how to find us. I had my phone turned off. It was an underground restaurant. It was the melting pot in Nashville. We were like in a booth at the back and the booths went all the way up to the ceiling. And there was no way he could have known where we were. And he showed up and just started making this huge scene. It was crazy. And later I found out that the waiters were thinking about calling the police because it was so crazy. And that was the last pattern interrupts. Because I was like, if he could do that, what else is he capable of doing? And ended up he had put a GPS tracker in my car. So I ended up at a domestic violence shelter. And that was a big enough pattern interrupt to give me the loaf of bread that I was praying for that said, okay, no, you're not going back. Mm-mm, we're done. We're done. No. Mm-mm. But yeah. that pattern interrupt 
That is huge. And I feel like for people who are listening, maybe think about what a pattern interrupt could be. And you want to do it smart. You want to do it carefully because it can be dangerous if you're in an abusive relationship. Even if it's, I say in air quotes, just mental or verbal, (laughs) meaning it hasn't gotten to a physical point yet because that can happen on a dime for anybody because it's just an escalation of what has already been going on. Yeah. That story about the guy who held me up with the throat, my feet were off the ground. I was up against the wall with my feet off the ground. Tippy toes were on the ground. And he just told me that. And I was like completely calm. My brain at that point had shut off because up until that point, all of the abuse was mental abuse. And I was recognizing that. Yes. I had never until that point been actually physically abused. And when he did that, it was like a switch was just flipped. And I like went instantly calm. Now, I'll tell you, that was in the moment. I literally went over a friend's house. I didn't even go home because I didn't want to go home. So I drove to a friend's house and it was a friend who was a guy. And I went over to his house. I told him what happened. Of course, he wanted to go kill him. (laughs) And I said, I'm just not going home tonight. And I was literally shaking from head to toe at that point. And it was a switch and flip going, never, ever again. There was nothing that can make that happen to me again. And at that point, it was like, yeah, I didn't have arrested. Like I said, they did call the cops. When the cops showed up, they were like, do you want us to arrest them? Are you okay, ma'am? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I just want to leave. You don't want to make a statement? I said, I don't want to make a statement. I said, he's a a hole and I'm done. I want nothing more to do with him. I'm out of here. And I got in my car and I left. I think the cops were even like looking at me like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) And to this day, I honestly don't know what they did with him after that. I'm assuming they just let him go. I actually have no idea. I left. I never looked back. And that was my, it was a huge interrupt. It was a switch that flipped. Some people will allow it to keep happening, even though they know what's wrong. And a lot of times the mindset is, I don't know of anything that's different. I can't formulate in my brain something better. And so this just is the way it is. And that's why you keep allowing it is because It's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And you also don't know the unknown. And if there are pieces of financial abuse too, which they found is in 97% of cases of abuse, then you might not be able to leave. You know what I mean? If you're married to that person, like when I left, I was making $300 a month. That's hard. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What do you, you know, and if you've been so isolated from your friends, you may not have a place to go to. So they really do make it difficult in that when you're imagining a life without them. And if you have kids too, that takes to a whole nother level. Absolutely. But, But it's like, what can you do to create a pattern interrupt, even if it's nothing external? If it's just internal to get yourself to that place where you're thinking about it differently, there's just so many pieces there. Yeah, Um, there really is. I could probably talk about this and go on about for hours. So (laughs) I could do, I could do. Right? (laughs) There's so many levels. And in my head, I'm thinking that there's probably people who might listen to this and go, you don't really understand my story. That's the mindset that you're in right now. And no, 
I don't understand your story because every single one of us has a different story. And we all, every single one of us is unique. We all come in from the day we're born to where we are right now, have our own set of beliefs and ideas and experiences throughout life. You stay in a relationship that's not a good relationship because it's the devil you know. It's your comfort zone. You're comfortable knowing what's going to happen next, even if what's happening next is not good. Yes. You know it. You know what to expect versus leaving where you go, I only have $300 a month. If I leave, what's going to happen? That's way more scarier than what I know, even though I don't like what I know. It's making that decision. It's like, how long will you allow it to go on if you want something better before you decide that what's out here, the scary stuff out here and in that place that you don't know about is way more attractive than what's going on in here, all the stuff that you know. At some point, something, and it's usually some event or something happens and you just finally go, you either just cut the tie and it's like, I'm gone, or it's the, you start working your way out. Absolutely. And hopefully as we start talking about this more in society, maybe the pattern interrupt will be realizing, oh my gosh, this is happening in my relationship. I had no idea. That's what I hope for this podcast. And you have done a beautiful job of demonstrating during this interview. This has been amazing. Now, Regina, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or follow your work or they're looking for a coach that does what you do, where can we find you? My website is autumnascent.com. And right now on that, it's really a booking page and I do free consultations. Right now, for a short time, doing free breakthrough sessions. They're like 90 minutes to two hour sessions where I help people break through something, whatever it is. It could be something like this, could be just a mindset thing, could be a work thing. I help people do breakthroughs. And going to theautomacent.com, you can find that. And on Facebook, I have a Facebook group called the Harmony and Balance Connection for Women and always putting tons of information out there as well. So those are the best two places to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Regina. This has been an absolute pleasure. You're amazing and an inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you.